No, when, you, when you go monarchs, you can't go wrong, you know. Just remember, just remember, not only can you look great like you look now, but you can go bowling in those. You can mow the front lawn. You know, you can just about do You can jog. You can you know, you do it. Pickleball is definitely is probably the footwear of choice for pickleball, I'm sure. We're looking pretty good. 7.04 on a Thursday, Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. That was Pete Carroll talking about the Air Monarchs, the Narcs, the cross trainers for dad life. You can do it all. Has anyone actually worn Air Monarchs before? Uh, I've never I, put on a pair. Have you tried on a pair? No, but a guy that I played basketball with, yeah, uh, as is like a, a science experiment, he mm-hmm. had a pair, and he wore them to play basketball one time. Yeah. And he said that his feet hurt for like a week and a half. He's like, these are not designed to do the basketball. No, but did he, did he like slip them on just to walk onto the court? He played a, a game. No, play, I know. He played but one did, game in them. Like, I'm interested in air marks. Well, I know, because you're, you're in the right. Don't do anything high impact in them. But mm. low impact? Yeah. They're the most versatile shoe on the market. Any low impact. <laughs> Would be, people judge me? Eh. We judge you anyways. I mean, you might as well buy yeah. them. Yeah. I'd wear a pair. They sound amazing. Low, I, low impact. I, that's my life. Would I still look like I'm in my you know late twenties like I do now? Uh, <laughs> there's so many different oh, ways I could go uh, with yes, this answer. Jason, of course. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say the basketball guy had like a crazy night, like forty point game or something. He did not. He just had shin splints. That was it. <laughs> so okay. Uh, Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program. Nick Shook from NFL.com is going to join us in just a second here. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. I mentioned Nick Shook. He joins us now, NFL.com's very own here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Nick? How are you? I'm good. I'm not wearing Air Monarchs, but I did have a friend in high school who wore them, and we always used to make fun of him. But it did define his personality, and I can confirm that he never had any foot problems. Okay, there you go. See, that's good intel. That's good consumer reporting Mm -hmm. there. I actually would like a pair. Uh, Nick, I'm worried about the Seahawks' run defense, and I'm just wondering if the 49ers are going to actually like send over the game plan to the Seahawks and be like, we're going to run, try and stop us, and then the Seahawks won't be able to stop them. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they could do that, and it probably wouldn't hurt them. I mean, when, when you have the 31st-ranked run defense, uh, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle, especially against a team that has Christian McCaffrey in its backfield. Now, the 49ers don't have a ton of depth at the position. If you look at their depth chart as it currently stands, they're just they're just not very deep there. But the, the beauty of it is, for them, is the fact that they have a star that they acquired at the trade deadline. And, and even if Brock Purdy is limited by his rib and oblique injuries, uh, they'll still probably be able to shorten their offense. And, you know, the, the, the lack of Debo Samuel is going to hurt them as well. But they'll still be able to shorten their offense and rely on McCaffrey. And it's going to be up to the Seahawks to stop them. With a defense that has been leaky all year and an offense that's not quite living up to what we saw from it earlier this year. So it's going to be a tough game for them. Uh, and they're at that point in the season, I think, where they're going to start to get a little desperate. You know, at 7-6, and six, you're going to try to fight to stay above 500. But more importantly, you're going to fight to try and stay in the playoff hunt in a conference that's starting to get a little complicated. And against a team that's one of the hottest in the NFL, they're probably the second hottest team in the NFL, the other one being Detroit of all teams. Mm-hmm. So a uh, tough battle for them this weekend for sure. Yeah, what is it, six straight wins for the Niners now to vault themselves into this position? And I, I think it's very telling about what Jason was just talking about, This the, the maybe the unstoppable nature of this run game against this bad run defense, that Brock Purdy is actually listed as questionable for this game. It still hasn't been confirmed that he'll actually play, and it doesn't seem to have shifted perceptions all that much. 
Yeah, and and that's the I think that's kind of the, the evidence that is most damning for the Seahawks is <laughs> the fact that you know you have a rookie quarterback, by the way, Mister Irrelevant of this most recent draft, who has played extremely well considering where he was selected and the expectations that came with it, and and he's banged up. You know, he's not at a hundred percent to the point where Kyle Shanahan told reporters on Tuesday that. They're not going to really know if he's going to be able to go until today, until they kind of probably get out there on the field and get a workout going before the game to see if he can play through the pain. I'm sure they'll find a way to improve his, you know, physical condition as best as possible for him to play. But yeah, like you said, it hasn't changed the conversation uh, regarding this game. It hasn't added the entry that you'd expect, which kind of tells you about the current state of the Seahawks. But, you know, it's, it is going to be interesting. It's going to be a tough battle for them. It's not the climb. I don't expect them to necessarily win, but, you got to trust Pete Carroll and what he's already done with this team. You know, this is a young team. This is a team that hit on a ton of draft picks defensively. Uh, sometimes when you have youth on your side and a lack of experience, a lack of reason to not believe in yourself, sometimes you can overcome those odds. It's just that they're going to have to play really clean on both sides of the ball if they want a chance in this one. And that's why we play the game. You know, uh, This is a game that you look at it and think, yeah, the Niners are going to win this one. They're going to make it seven straight. And, and oftentimes in this league, it doesn't quite pan out that way. So that's why we watch. And uh, it'll be interesting for sure on the primetime stage. Doesn't it feel like any team that makes the playoffs in the NFC could have a chance to win at least one game? Like if the Seahawks finish seventh, they'll get Minnesota. And then, and, and like, yeah. I, 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 you know, listen, Minnesota, are they a good team? Yeah. Are they a great team? I don't know about that. Yeah, I think because Philadelphia is looking like they're going to get the one seed, um, any of the remaining teams in the first round are beatable. Uh, you know, even Dallas, they nearly got caught sleepwalking last week against Houston, you know, the worst team in the league, and had to frantically come back to win that game. So you look at the other teams at the top of the division, you got Tampa Bay at 6-7 and seven leading the NFC South. That's a team that's very beatable. Um, Minnesota has kind of slipped up in a few times. I think that 10-3 and three is not quite indicative of the strength of their team. I don't think they're quite the 10-3 and three team that, you would typically expect from a team with that record. Uh, so, yeah, they're beatable as well. And, and the rest of the division is pretty wide open. Washington and New York flirting. Detroit on a hot streak potentially could find their way into the playoffs. And Seattle fighting for a spot as well. So it makes for a very interesting uh, super wild card weekend. Always include super. You know, we got that extra game. Now. Right, so super. Yeah. Wild card to super. Yeah, it's been super, super wild sized. card weekend. We could get some super finishes potentially uh, in a division that remains wide open outside of Philadelphia. Hey, Nick, where do you rank Dak Prescott? It's a tough question. Um, I think that we have not gotten an accurate read on who Dak is in the last year and a half because of the injuries he's dealt with, because of even the contract situation that he dealt with a couple of years ago. Uh, it, it's been it's there's been a lot of extenuating circumstances that have kind of clouded our ability to get a proper understanding of who he is. Now, at his best, when that offense is humming, he looks really good. Is he also good for a bad turnover or two in the wrong situation for them? Yes. Is he a quarterback that I would build my team around? Yes. But is he a quarterback that I would trust like a Tom Brady or even a Joe Burrow to go out there and get the job done no matter what? Not quite as much. The beauty of him is the fact that he is physically talented as all can be. Um, you know, he, he can run, he can throw, he can extend plays. You can do a number of different things with him offensively. It's just he hasn't quite proven to this point that he can go win the big one and that's probably a product of Dallas as a whole more than just him himself. So, I mean, I would probably put him, I'd put him in the top 10, um, but it's tough to rank quarterbacks. That's why I don't do the QB index on NFL.com. That belongs to Mark Sessler, uh, thankfully, because you get a lot of heat for that. But, I mean, I, he's a guy I would definitely build my team around for sure. It's just he's not a guy that I'm going to guarantee is going to go win me a playoff game when I need it. 
Where is Jalen Hurts in your mind right now? Well, I think he's the MVP leader. Um, Uh And I think he's proven a lot of people wrong with the way that he's been able to throw the football, which he was probably unfairly criticized or looked down upon for that ability in the past. Um, the beauty of their offense is the fact that you can do anything with it. You know, the addition of A.J. Brown has paid off incredibly well. Uh, Devontae Smith also, also being that receiving core. You even got, got guys like Quez Watkins, you know, a burner that can make a difference in, in a running game that can attack you from a number of different angles with Miles Sanders and Kenny Gainwell. And, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a really just a beautiful offense when you look at it because of how many different ways they can attack you, and it's really maximizing Jalen Hurts to this, to this point in his career. I don't know what his ceiling is, so it's kind of difficult to project where he is. But as it stands right now, he's playing his tail off. He's playing great football. They're playing great football as a team. And there's a reason he's you know, entrenched in that MVP conversation. It's probably an answer that I could probably give you the best you know, uh, response for a few years from now when maybe things aren't looking quite as easy for them. But right now, he's just playing great football. So Ranking-wise, as it stands, he's top 10. Uh, but again, kind of like Dak, I don't know. I have not seen him tested in the most important situations. We'll learn a lot more about that in the postseason. We're speaking to Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, looking at the quarterback position, I want to ask about Tua Tungavailoa, but I want to do it in a more lighthearted way because I find this weather narrative, like, I love this. I love everything about this. I love Mike McDaniel leaning into it. I love the numbers on how bad Tua has been in weather games. I love the fact that they were using a heater on the sidelines in Los Angeles last week. Like, that was great. And now they got to go to – It gets chilly indoors in Los Angeles. 50 degrees, and they were using a heater. Turn the AC down. Now, I know that they're going – this isn't even going to be, like, tragically, comically bad Buffalo weather. It's just going to be freezing on Sunday night. But I do love that everyone's leaning into this and talking about it. I know you wrote about this game for NFL.com. What angle, what approach did you take in setting this one up? Uh, well, um, the weather's not going to be good. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yep. Um, Tua's never played in, in, a, in a snow game in his career. Uh, I was reading something that ESPN wrote yesterday about how he spent some of his time in the offseason practicing with his brother Talia at uh, Maryland, you know, in the winter, just to kind of get a feel for throwing the football around in frigid temperatures. I mean, it's crazy because you go look at Miami games even a few weeks ago. I mean, I'm, I'm in Cleveland. It's been cold here for a while. It's been cold in a lot of the Midwest and East Coast for a while. And then you go watch a game in Miami and people are in shorts and T-shirts because it's still warm down there. I mean, that's the ideal place to play football in the NFL this time of year. And yet that's not where they've been, not just this week, but the last couple of weeks. Difference is they were in California the last two weeks. Yeah. They were in L.A. last week in a, a domed stadium, technically. I mean, there's some open portions, but it's domed. And they were in, you know, Santa Clara in the Bay Area, which can get frigid at times at night, but you're never going to see snow there. So this is an environment we have not seen him play in before. He's also been bad the last couple yeah, of weeks. I hate yeah, to say it because no. he was having such a good season prior to that, but he's just missed throws to the point where uh, against San Francisco, I think it was Mark Schlereth was doing the color commentary on that broadcast. He just said multiple times, he's just not accurate. He's just not making throws that, you know, he's missing in the way that we haven't seen him miss in the past. And, you know, you ask why, you know, is he dealing with an injury? He's got a little bit of an ankle issue. Is that affecting him? We know how important his lower body is from his hip issue before in, in helping him, you know, complete passes at the NFL level. Uh, and, and even when he was playing well, it didn't look, you know, all that pretty. It was weird. The numbers said that he was a phenomenal quarterback, but when you watch the games, 
it just didn't look like it did with some of the other elite quarterbacks. So um, I think that's going to throw a wrench into things. But it's weird because they're playing this rivalry game in the division. They have some desperation because they've lost two straight. They really need to win to kind of hang on to a playoff spot yeah. right now because they're the sixth seed in the AFC right now. It's a very tough AFC to get through. And, um, you know, they have to work out some kinks offensively. They've not run the ball well in the last couple of weeks. That started to turn around with the addition of Jeff Wilson to a back that also includes Raheem Mostert. So they got kinks to work out. And this is a tough team to work them out against, and especially if you add in the snow element. You know, in snow games, you typically run the ball well. You try to lean on the run game because you can't throw it as well. Uh, there's a lot of things that are going to make it more difficult for them as an offense. But, again, they need to win this game, and they need to be prepared yeah. to win this game and not think about the weather. In fact, I just filed something that's going to be up on NFL.com in a moment about the fact that, you know, they're not thinking about the weather. They're intentionally not thinking about the weather because they don't want to let that, you know, mental warfare affect them. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be a test for sure. And I think if they are able to pull off a win, it's going to tell us a lot about where they stand. And if they don't, we won't be all that surprised. It's just going to increase the pressure on them. It's going to be a huge test of Tua as a quarterback and where he really is. You know, not to say that earlier in the season was a fluke, you know, his performance, but this is a guy who's been under plenty of scrutiny in the past. And he could help himself a lot by going out and having a good game and leading them to victory. And he could hurt himself a little bit, uh, especially in the public eye, if they struggle once again. Uh, I want to stick on the conversations regarding quarterbacks, but I want to focus on the NFC West here for a moment because tonight we're going to see what I can't believe this is the sentence, but the best quarterback in the division, Geno Smith, will be taking on Brock Purdy, although maybe Josh Johnson, and that's after the 49ers lost Jimmy Garoppolo and, of course, lost Trey Lance. The other teams in the division, I mean, look at the Los Angeles Rams this year. They start with Stafford, Wolford goes in for a bit, and then they end up with Baker Mayfield, and in Arizona... Start with Kyler Murray. It's not a good year. He tears his ACL. Now it's Colt McCoy. Now, Arizona, I'm curious to know where you think this organization goes from here because the news of yesterday was that the general manager, Steve Keim, took a health-related leave of absence from the team. It's been such a bad year for a team that had high expectations and has a lot of talent. Uh, as we kind of predict where this division is going to go, I'm really curious where you think the Arizona Cardinals go from here. You know, deep down, I feel like they're at a crossroads. Um, you know, the way that their season has gone this year, typically, if it wasn't a, a club like the Cardinals, who had just extended time and Kingsbury last year after the way that they blew a tire down the stretch last year for the second straight season, yeah. I would say that the coach is very much in the hot seat and they could have a coaching change. I still think that's in play. Um, but the the news yesterday of Steve Kahn taking an indefinite leave of absence due to a health issue uh it complicates matters and i think that the only thing you can depend on right now strictly because of the money kind of like the broncos with russell wilson is the fact that you're going to have the same quarterback next year <laughs> right i don't know about the rest of the team i don't know if you know Kime's going to come back he's been with the franchise since 1999 in a number of different roles so wouldn't be surprised if he's back I don't know if, if you can justify bringing Kingsbury back unless you believe that this is just a team that was hampered by injuries and, and you know, DeAndre Hopkins being suspended for the first six games, Marquise Brown landing on IR, you know, Kyler Murray getting hurt with the hamstring and now getting knocked out for the year with an ACL injury. There's a lot of question marks. There's not a lot of stability in, in terms of trying to project where they'll be in the next year. And, and so I think that makes it difficult to figure out if, hey, are they just going to run it back again and expect a different result? Because at some point you're also starting to define insanity, you know, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. But this is not the franchise that I would choose to be the most aggressive in making, you know, front office or coaching staff changes just because they're not getting the results that they expect. So 
I would bank on Kyler still being there. Uh, I think that they have some veterans on that team that could go one way or the other in the offseason. Uh, and I think the expectations remain the same as long as you have Kyler on that roster. But they simply have to be better. And if you have to be better and you're going to keep most of the same roster, I think that it comes down to a coaching change. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Kingsbury is, is out. But, again, this is not a franchise that I anticipate is going to make such a decision which could be frustrating to their fans because they could end up just yeah. saying, well, we're going to run it back again. We have X, Y, and Z is why we didn't, you know, achieve to the level we expected this year. And we think that's going to change this year. That would not surprise me at all if they try to do that again. It would just become a frustrating situation. Uh, definitely a strange club, I think, right now in the NFL. Uh, just just a team that you expect more out of that you just haven't gotten the results from the last few years. And at some point that has to change, but I'm not sure if that's this offseason. Uh, same question, but with the Rams. You know, where do they go from here? And I do wonder if they could ha- be back next season without Sean McVay, Matthew Stafford, and Aaron Donald. I think that McVay is in the clear because of all the injuries that they've suffered. Um you know, the running back being very unstable, offensive line being just an absolute mismatch of, of just random selections of five, you know, blockers throughout the season is definitely a great excuse to lean on to when you're trying to explain why you didn't achieve the level you expected. And this is a team that is very top heavy. You know, they went all in and they got a Super Bowl out of it. Yep. And now they're kind of paying for it. And um, they might be in a tough spot for the next few years, but Stafford's not going anywhere because of the money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think McVay, if he wants to continue coaching, will have his job safely there. And I, and I think that the fact they won a Super Bowl is going to keep Les Snead in place. So uh, I think those guys will be there. Uh, Aaron Donald, you know, he gets the money after threatening retirement, and then this is what happens. He ends up on, you know, injured to the point where he can't play for, you know, the first time in his career, which might extend through this week as well. Um, and there's really no reason to bring any of those guys back because the season's over for them. Yeah. You know, Stafford landing on IR made sense. There's no point in risking anything. Same goes for Aaron Donald. The same's going to go for Cooper Cup when he's actually able to return. They're probably still not going to bring him back. McVay said as much that, you know, he basically expects his season to be over as well. Yeah. So you go back to the drawing board and you try and put the pieces together and figure out what you have. But it, it does kind of speak to what I thought about them early in the season, which is when they were getting blown out by the Bills in week one. And everyone's stunned. And I'm sitting there thinking – are we really, should we really be that surprised? Yeah, this team has a lot of big names, but if you look at them, you know, all 11 on offense and defense, there were some holes. There were some guys that you were putting too much responsibility on. So that's where they have to get better. And I, they don't have the capital to do that. So it's gonna, and they really don't have the cap space to do that either. So it's really interesting to see how they approach this offseason, but I expect them to run most of it back with some minor changes and see if something else happens, you know, if, if the outcome is better next year, because they really don't have any other choice. Well, I was more wondering if the retirement might be in the cards for all three. I know Donald's spoken about it openly. Stafford's health concerns are pretty well documented at this point. And I keep reading all this and hearing all this stuff about McVay and the looming job offers that media are going to present him where he could make a hell of a lot of money without anywhere close to the amount of work. So that's where I was kind of leaning with it, is if retirement might be in the cards for one, two, or maybe all three of the guys. Yeah, I think it could be in the cards for Aaron Donald, just because what more do you need to go get? You know, your Fair. your attempt to go get another ring failed spectacularly, and really no fault of your own, but just the fact that the team wasn't good enough. Stafford, you're right about the injury issues, but again, he's got a lot of money on the table, so I, I could probably see him still coming back. Uh, McVay is interesting because he's young. He's coached a lot. He's spent a lot of time coaching, and he's spent a lot of time trying to go win Super Bowls. He even admitted after they lost, what was that, Super Bowl 53 against the the Patriots that he studied too hard. He, he, he ate too much tape, you know, and, and overprepared <laughs> for that game. And that's how they ended up with only three points on the board. Uh, so it, it does take a toll on guys. 
you know, it's kind of like being the U.S. president. It ages you very quickly. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I am curious. You know, I think it's a good question to ask. I can't really tell you, you know, what I expect without any inside information on what they're, what the thinking is there. Uh, I, I would anticipate that they run it back again, but I wouldn't be surprised if they went in a direction, a different direction. The thing is, is that they do make a coaching change because, yeah, you know, McVeigh decides that he'd rather be in the booth than on the sideline. I think that signals a rebuild there, and I think at that point that you really open the door for more significant changes, which would be quite a fall from grace for a team that was just playing in the Super Bowl last year. But again, we're not at that point yet. So it's fair to speculate, fair to wonder, but we don't have any reasons at this point to, to really advance that timeline yet. Nick, I love talking football with you, bud. Thanks a lot for doing this. We appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight and the games this weekend, and we will be doing this again soon. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me, as always. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. That's Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet. 650. Have you started to read any NFL mock drafts with the Seahawks potentially having a pick like number two or number three because of the struggles of the Denver Broncos and the Russell Wilson trade? A um, little bit, yeah. I mean, it's it's tough because there's so much – like the World Cup's really thrown a wrench in my, yeah. my annual winter prep. But There's a defensive lineman out of Georgia, mm-hmm. and his name is Jalen Carter. I'm vaguely familiar with right. his work. So you're going to see a lot of him if you're going to watch the college football playoff because mm-hmm. Georgia, they start with Ohio State and then they could be in the in the final. Mm-hmm. Um, Jalen Carter had a really good game against Tennessee when Tennessee was number one. Um, and Todd McShay for ESPN. Draft re- guru. Draft guy. Recently, and this is interesting, so you got to listen. I'm listening. He had this to say about Jalen Carter. It's interesting with Carter because we, we all agree it doesn't take a super scout to figure out that he's a phenomenal player in the interior. Mm-hmm. With Carter, there's some character issues. Does he get along with everybody? What's he like to deal with in the locker room? Those sorts of issues. I know it's early in the process, but I'm forewarning everyone out there. Carter's going to be kind of a hot button name when we talk about some of the intangible aspects of it. I think, though, with Pete Carroll sitting here at number two, who has a long history of taking guys that have quote-unquote questionable character, and then developing them and having it work out, it makes a lot of sense to me. But that will be the big discussion. It's not about his talent. It's not about his size. It's not about his explosive takeoff or finishing as a pass rusher. It's about the the character. Do we want to bring that guy into the building? And I think those comments took a lot of people by surprise because people were like, what character I know know McShay got thrown out. McShay got criticized pretty heavily for what he said. Yeah, there's like... People were like, "Well, what are you, what are you hearing right now?" You can't just throw because out it, vague, un, nondescript statements. Well, like I that. don't think he is. He's obviously heard something, but right? he didn't say what it was. Yeah, but maybe he can't. I mean, he's just. Well, what? Why, I mean, why do you think he's doing it? I don't know. But I'm just saying, you, it's very dangerous to do that when you're talking about someone's livelihood and his draft position no, I, at stake, and you have these vague sort of notions like there are wait, character issues could be in a million different things. Yeah. It could be on field. It could be off field. It could be family-related. Mm-hmm. It could be something regarding a girlfriend or wife or spouse. Or like, it's very it's, well. Allow me the that, allow me ambiguous, al- allow right? me that that Todd McShay probably has a few sources in college football. Yeah, it's fine. I'm just I just right? I saw that particular um, report from McShay, and then I saw a bunch of articles afterwards. They're like that's very awkward and weird to put that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, don't get me wrong. It's this is not new in the draft process, right? There's so much invested in these players because yeah. of one, the amount of money that they can make Two, 
how you know how vital it is for these drafts to pay off for teams. Oh, right? well, the type of player he is. Yeah, a lineman that can get after the quarterback, that can run stuff, that can or stuff like he he's just like he is the type of player that the Seahawks really need if they don't go after a quarterback. Yeah, in the draft. But I actually am kind of getting hyped up for the draft because because of the Broncos' struggles, the Seahawks are going to have a really high pick. When's the, Se- when's the last time the Seahawks uh, would have been this major a player in the first round of an NFL draft? Because they're going to have two first-round picks. Yeah, They're going to have one potentially in the top ten, right? That that Denver pick could be even higher than that when it's all said and done. Well, the Denver pick right now is number two, I think. Yeah, so, I mean, who knows how, crazy. Denver, who knows how Denver finishes out, yeah. right? Like, it's hard, hard Frank to say. Frank Sarvalli is going to join us next. We'll get into the... Bo Horvat conversation and whether or not the Canucks are going to be able to clear some cap space to keep the captain. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Seven thirty-four on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program. We're right in the midst of it. Frank Saravalli is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. Pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle. You get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Let's go to the phone lines. Join now as we are every week on this program. Uh, Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Pretty good, guys. How are you? Right, we're good. Three guesses where we're going to start today. Uh, oh, I don't. Even, I, I you know only what? need one, I think. Yeah, okay. Go. Tell me about Bo Horvath. <laughs> Uh, I don't think there's any, uh, obviously not anything new in the last few days. Um, I think it's been beaten to death on your airwaves, uh, just about every website known to man and in the hockey world and, and also on television as well. I mean, this is, I don't want to say it's an awkward situation, but I wonder, you know, this statement sort of get back, get away from me. Don't ask me any questions. I don't know. I don't know that it necessarily helped anything either. We've heard some um, reports and Elliot Freeman wrote about it today that the Canucks are still determined to create cap room, trading away some um, bad contracts or some, you know, medium bad contracts. Have you heard anything on that? And that would be, you know, a Connor Garland trade or, or a Brock Besser trade, anything that can clear out some cap space to create room to hopefully try and take another run at a Horvat contract. Not anything imminent. And to be honest, like, even if you were able to clear out one of those contracts, like I would say, and you could make the argument that still the best path forward for the Canucks, the the place that they're going to create the most value, be able to harvest the most assets still involves a Bo Horvat trade that there needs to be, I think a definitive declaration made as to the path that this team is, is going to be embarking on. And I don't think it needs to be defined by any R word, whether that's rebuild or retool or whatever 
language you want to use, it, it it can't be the same. It can't it can't you can't march back most of the same crew again because even with Bo Horvat and even with the tear that he's been on this season, they're still on pace for exactly 82 points to put themselves in a prime position in no man's land. Like how how does that get this team any closer to where they want to get to? It's just really an exercise in making things worse. I mean, you're preaching to the choir here on that, um, but we kind of run two different paths on this show. We we think about or we talk about what we'd like them to do, which is just our opinions, which is sports radio, but we also talk about what they're likely to do and what they've done in the past and what the signals are, and it sounds like they, unless I'm mistaken here, it sounds like they're still trying to keep Bo Horvat. So as as do you, put it this way, do you expect them to make some sort of announcement um, laying out their intentions for the club? Because um, up until this point, what we've dealt with basically is a, is a comment that uh, Jim Rutherford made, I think, to Pierre Lebrun, and he says, we're going to just keep pecking away at this roster and try to make it better. And until there's kind of a, a, a different statement put out, then that's all we can assume they're doing. I think that's fair, but I think part of the way that this season has unfolded has, I would say, at least from the people that I've talked to internally, an indication that it's pretty clear in terms of what I, I think. Basically, here's the easiest way to frame what I'm saying: is a lot of people had eyebrows raised at the 50-plus game run that they had under Bruce Boudreaux last year and maybe kind of sort of talk themselves into the idea that, hey, if this team could just carry that over and start this season the same way, that they would be a playoff team. And instead, they reverted back to what we saw in the first 25 to 30 games last season and now are right back to square one. And it's almost like they were fooled into that thought process and to then continue to peck away at that where where does that get you at the end of the day um how you know in order to clear space you're going to need someone to take it on that's kind of how the nhl works how much of a damper was there league-wide after the announcement that gary bettman made at the board of governors meetings where the cap wasn't probably going to go up as much as people expected or anticipated so here's the really interesting thing about that is his comments had a way of clouding and perhaps on purpose the situation. Cause I I've walked away from that never having been more convinced that the cap is going to be increasing by a significant number this summer. Okay. And the reason for that is the, the underlying numbers and data that they provided that only $70 million will, at least that's their current projection will need to be repaid at the end of the season. It could be less than that. Either way, he revealed for the first time that the debt had originally ballooned to $1.5 billion. Mm-hmm. So 70 remaining on a $1.5 billion tab means that almost 96% of it will have been paid off. Okay. And that last 70 will probably be paid off before puck drop next season in terms of revenue brought in. So... To keep the cap artificially low for one more season based on, oh, well, this is what the letter of the law says. This is what our agreement says. You could do that. It would be a very on-brand NHL thing to do. (laughs) Right, right, right. 
But I also think we've reached a, a point in time, and perhaps this is exactly why he answered it the way that he did, that there's a number, a healthy number, 15, 10, 20, whatever it is, governors that are in that room saying, we got to get the cap moving in a north direction. We cannot have a fourth straight season of a flat, frozen salary cap. It's not good for our team. It's not good for 15 others. And it's also, coincidentally, not good for the players either. So... I, I truly believe that there will be pressure on Gary Bettman to then come to some sort of negotiation with the NHLPA. But what you see right now is essentially just posturing, saying, I'm not going to have this negotiation with you now. I'll have it at some point toward the end of this season with whoever's in charge next at the NHLPA. Because there's got to be someone in the league right now that's looking at the complete lack of movement and the basic roster freeze where the only transactions are waiver claims and saying this isn't a good thing for anybody involved when there's a lot of teams that desperately want to make moves, but they just literally cannot do it. It's more than someone. It's many people in that room. That's what I'm telling you. That I think that's why he answered it that way. He's not going to reveal to us that he's getting heat from a number of people in that very important boardroom. That's not his style. So his style is to push back and say, well, where are you guys getting this information? Why, why would you be asking questions like that? Why are you way further down the line than we are? And the answer is we know because we talked to those people and we know because now you've revealed for the first time what the numbers are and it's minuscule that's remaining to be paid off. So if that's the case, and it could actually be cleared up um, by a deep playoff run by a number of big market, big spending teams, that we might not even have to have a negotiation. It may just go away on its own. Where is the NHLPA in all this? Well, we don't know because Don Fear is, uh, I don't want to say checked out, but he's essentially commissioner emerit or executive uh, director emeritus at this point um, and is, you know, is essentially collecting a paycheck as they go through the process of determining his replacement. So, I think there had been some concern and some misinformation on the player side that increasing the cap is bad because the players have their escrow percentage locked in or capped. Right. But no matter what, no matter what way you slice it, having more money in the system is not just better for teams that are trying to end this stagnation, but it's also better for players because there's more to go around. I mean, that seems like a pretty big deal that we don't really know who's leading the NHLPA. I'd say I think it's a huge reason why the 2024 World Cup of Hockey was scrapped and a number of other of other things that could be on the table or on the docket. I don't know that the NHL necessarily wants to do anything at this moment until they know exactly who they're getting in bed with. We're speaking to Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Frank, as we kind of look around the league and see, you know, we know that the Canucks want to do certain things and move certain money and maybe move certain players. As I always, you know, we just talked about this. You need to have a landing spot. I don't want to connect too many dots here, but I can't help but look at what's going on in Pittsburgh right now. And it's a team that brought the band back. They are making another run. They're playing very well lately. And they just suffered two pretty significant long-term injuries in Jason Zucker and Jeff Petrie. Um, I know it's hard to, co to consummate deals in this current landscape, but is this a team that would be motivated to try and fill the gaps? Because this isn't just two guys that they've lost. It's two pretty important players that they've lost, and both are classified as long-term. Unfortunately not, because my understanding is that neither one of those injuries is going to be season-ending. 
So they're backed into the same corner that the Colorado Avalanche and a number of other teams that have had crippling injuries to this point are because they need to then account for those players to come back on the cap. So you can't go out and spend Jeff Petrie's space because you know that you need to pay put Jeff Petrie back on the cap when he's healthy in whatever that ends up being, a month or two months. And so they're kind of in a really tough spot. On paper, they have space, but in reality, they don't. And that's the same thing the Avs have been dealing with. It's not just quantity of players, it's also quality of players. What about the Calgary Flames? We keep hearing that they're looking for scoring. Um, do they have the cap space to add some scoring? And if not, can they create that cap space themselves? They have a marginal amount of cap space and coupled with the idea of trading a player from your mix to then create more is, is a possibility. I just don't know how big of a swing the Flames want to make. I think they're they're one of those teams that's in the same category as so many others. Like, hey, I want a scoring forward who's really good that puts the puck in the net and makes nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to trade you anything to get him. Yeah. It is. And, that, and, you, and you have to take back a bad contract. Yeah. Yeah. And I want a hundred million dollars and this and the, like come on like it's it's bananas. That's that's the proposition. There's actually one GM. I, I was talking to another manager at, at the uh, Board of Governors meeting this week. He said, I got a call from a GM last week. He said, hey, I'm looking for a forward. I want to trade you nothing. What do you got? What can you give me? And he's like, Well, if really? it was the Canucks, that, they got a bunch. <laughs> that's Is that how we're starting this conversation? Yeah, well, but that's, I mean, that's what we kind of keep coming back to. And it's, you know, we've had the conversation between the two of us over the last couple of days, but it's starting to become a little bit more crystal clear when you take a step back and you're like, there's been virtually no trades this season. It's December 15th. And I think the Canucks have been involved in half of the trades that have gone on in the season. And one of them was Ethan Bear. And that was contingent on retaining salary on a, what, a $2 million deal, like not even that big in the grand scheme of things. And maybe we're all just kind of missing the boat on this one that it's there. There are bigger issues at play that are going to prevent all this stuff from happening. Despite the fact that there are many motivated buyers uh, out there, I guess many motivated sellers as well. It's just a landscape that's impossible to do anything in. And many motivated brokers call this the year of the third party broker. Cause that's, what's going to happen. 22, um, you know, it's it's real easy to look at the numbers. 22 out of the league's 32 teams are within $2 million of the cap. And I'd say 17 of them are actually over the cap, technically using LTIR. What do you mean when it you're talking about third? What are you talking about when you're talking about third-party brokers? I'm talking about teams like the Arizona Coyotes, yeah. Anaheim Ducks, Chicago Blackhawks, um, maybe to a lesser extent because they don't have as much this year, but um, you know potentially the Sens, um, teams that are have loads of cap space that can take on and park retained salary on a transaction to help a deal go through, uh, basically launder money for you yeah. in exchange for getting an asset in return. So a number of teams have been good at it. I just think. Not only is this the year we're going to see the most of it, given the big-name players that we expect to move, including Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, but also this might be the last year of the third-party broker because if the cap goes up, like I'm expecting it to, 3 to $3.5 million, then you're in a spot where you don't probably need the third-party broker again for a while. You know, one of those teams could be the Anaheim Ducks, and the Ducks have been, I think, the worst, I mean, they have been the worst yeah. team in the NHL. If you look at their goal differential, it's just 
dreadful. I think they have one. Was that you? Was you saying one regulation one win? One regulation win. One regulation year. win. Yeah. All Hard years. to do, Harry. So, so yeah, <laughs> that's not many wins. That's just one win in regulation. Um, what is the thinking on uh, going on in Anaheim right now? Because I, I I know they didn't expect to be good this season, but. Y- I don't know. It's I don't always, think they it's, expected to be this bad. No, it's it's always that delicate dancer. I don't even know if it's delicate. Just between like we we don't want to be good, but we don't want to like completely ruin everyone's love for the game of hockey. And I think that's part of what you run into, and a big fear that you might have if you have some really talented young players like uh, Trevor Zegras and like Troy Terry and and Mason McTavish in your lineup as a nineteen year old. Like that's a real living breathing concern is like do not be in a spot where these players not only begin to hate hockey and hate showing up to the rink every day but hate being here in anaheim and so the problem for them is it's going to get worse before it gets better one of their big issues is they don't have a lot on their back end they basically have three nhl defensemen and that's it and they don't have a ton coming in their pipeline either so the good thing is they've got a GM and Pat Verbeek who's really creative and had a front row seat to a lot of what Steve Eiserman did in Detroit and elsewhere and is able to help, you know, steer this ship, but it's going to be a while. The nice thing is the only nice thing is they've got a ton of cap flexibility. Like they only have $39 million committed to next season and they only have a couple guys on their roster, less than a handful that make more than six million dollars so they can do just about anything they want but they need assets they need draft picks they need as many kicks as they can as they can get and they need first round picks like you watch chicago last year go into like hyper overdrive at the draft three first round picks they have they're going to end up with more multiple first round picks this year just having second round picks like the ducks have it's good but it's not great Frank, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for doing this as always. We appreciate it. Uh, Enjoy all the games tonight and this weekend. We'll do this again next week. Sounds good, guys. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. Thanks. That's um, Frank Cervalli from Daily Faceoff here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So I just want to uh, hammer home what we talked about there is that what's going on currently in the NHL is not good from a financial standpoint, from a salary cap standpoint, from a trade standpoint, from a player movement standpoint. And you're not just talking about the Canucks. There's a lot of frustrated no, teams I, I'll, out there. I'll take the, I'll give the Canucks a pass. Like, hey, Halford and Ruff are not going to crap on the Canucks for five minutes. Uh, this, is, this is a bad situation that the NHL finds itself in right now. Mm. Go look. We're, it's December 15th. We are closing in on the 40 game. In 10 games, they will have played half of their season. Here are the trades since the season have started of significance. The Leafs got Connor Timmons. That was a big one. The Wild got Ryan Reeves. Mm. The Canucks got Ethan Bear. The Canucks got Jack Studnika. End of list. <laughs> That's like five trades. Um, and, and they seemed like impossible to make. And, and, and it's I, a miracle I, that they pulled them off. And I brought up the Ethan Bear one. That was contingent on retaining salary. On a, on a third pair defenseman that's making two million bucks. Yeah. Like that is not a good spot for your league to be in. Well, but- this it, it really brings me to the conversation of where the PA is in, in all this, right? Like and number one, who's their leader? I did not realize it was that scenario. Yeah. And number two, what do they want? Because 
they always have a tough situation because the guys with long-term contracts, the ones that are locked in, do not want to raise artificially raise the salary cap because that hurts them on their escrow, okay? Yeah. The free agents, on the other hand, or the guys that are about to get paid, they want the cap to go up mm-hmm. just so there's more room for teams to sign More them. jobs, more money, more contracts. So they always have to balance that between the membership. And that's actually an issue for them in a lot of cases. Like, just, yeah. so, no, you know, uh, yeah. even in, um, you know, discipline where their job really is to protect the players – and yet, when there's a suspension because some guy has hurt one of those players, their job is also to go and represent that player in discipline hearings with, with the league. So not everyone, you know, this is an issue with unions in general, yep. right? And, and, you know, different people have different wants and different desires from their PA leadership. But what I'd like to know right now is what do the majority of players want? And can the PA negotiate something with the NHL to artificially raise the salary cap? Yeah, well, I mean, and then there's another aspect of this. And, you know, this is the old Brian Burke um, rule or anecdote or whatever. It's that player movement, trade, signings, free agency, it matters to the fans. There's a, there's a big part of it is that, Fans love. I mean, fans love that stuff. There, there's a reason that this network and the other network dedicate an entire day of programming to the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that trade tracking lists and you know, here's our big board and all this stuff is a month long process. Talk to any NBA fan. It, they it, love the transaction. But it just, it's like, amazing. It's it's it doesn't make any sense from an entertainment standpoint to have a bunch of people that want to make news hamstrung to make it because you've got such a hard cap and no growth within. And please understand the system. Bob and Nanaimo texts in, the thing that you guys and me and the rest of the media and all the general managers in the league have in common is that none of us are billionaires. The owners don't care if their GMs are sweating as long as they're saving money. Bob, it doesn't matter what the cap number is. The players get 50% of the revenue every year. Period. Yeah. I, like, it, it's just a matter of how it's split up. Yeah. 50% of the revenue goes to the players. The biggest issue that they've got. Always. Right, yeah, but the biggest issue that they got right now is that it's a hard cap coming out of a pandemic. Right? Like, it, it's <laughs> there's no way to go over the ceiling. Like, you just can't. And how the, was the PHF the, able to raise their salary cap? Almost the same amount as the NHL. They announced a $750,000 salary cap increase. You can artificially inflate the cap. Mm-hmm. But the guys with long-term contracts get hurt by that yeah. because then there's more escrow. But Sometimes it's – I know it's confusing and it's kind of boring, but yeah. you always have to remember that no matter what, 50% of the revenues are going to go to the players. Yeah. Now, to take this back to – without getting into the numbers and the economics and the finances, uh, the end result for us, the sports talking guys, and you, the fans and listeners, is that – you just st- you sit around talking about deals that you want to see made, and then you look out there and you're like, there's like very little chance that this is actually going to happen mm-hmm. because it's so tight and it's so restrictive, and the history has shown that. And it's not good. Like, that's my one big takeaway from this. No, it's not good What's for the going league. on right now is not good. No. It's not healthy for the league. It's not cool to talk about the financial implications 
of a fourth line winger or a third pair defenseman and how that's going to be make or break. Like those yeah. guys should be interchangeable. Right? It's, it it sucks when you've got all these GMs around the league that want to try and fix their teams and it's exciting when the new players um come to a team. It's exciting when trades happen. I mean, there's a reason why the trade deadline is such a big deal media-wise and fan interest-wise. You have to have limits, obviously, and some people are a little turned off with some of the player turnover in leagues like the NBA or Major League Baseball. But, I mean, we're not even coming close to approaching that right now. No. It is, it is, it is, must be very, very frustrating for management like Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin when they look at their team and they're like, everyone's killing me for not fixing the defense. It is impossible right now unless you want me to send out multiple draft picks or trade, you know, Pedersen or whatever. Like it is not, it is not going to happen. And I don't think that's good for the league when you can't have, you can't have a little swashbuckling from wow. the general managers because I think I think we all like a little swashbuckling. Yeah. I mean, look, it's not just for Yurke Lume. No, I know, but hey, that's true. He was the original swashbuckler. I know we're up against it for time, but uh, as it pertains to the Canucks, look back throughout the course of this organization's history and how many big, profound, prolific trades there were and what it meant to the market and how the fans responded. I remember when they acquired Luongo from Florida, going to a cactus club in Coquitlam, mm -hmm. and it's all anyone was talking about at the bar. Right. It was a huge deal, a huge deal. I remember you know, going back to the pivotal trade prior to the 94 Cup run. Right, you remember these things. Like it, it used to be a time where you could dramatically alter your fortunes, and the GM was like, you say swashbuckling, but it was like it was like a gambler, a big whale at the casino. Like yeah. he's gonna make this is gonna be a big deal, and it's either going to you know vault us or we're gonna crash and burn. And there's an excitement to that that we're missing right now. Right, I get people that are like, I don't really enjoy going to cap friendly and doing the buyout calculator. Like mm -hmm. it's not a lot of fun. Right, you want to try. And have your team's fortunes change in a way that everyone remembers. Anyway, we're way up against it for time. Uh, we'll come back with Brendan <laughs> I think Bachelor. the show's nearly over. <laughs> yeah, we've been talking a lot. Brendan Bachelor's on the other side. We'll talk to him about the Canucks' 4-3 victory in the shootout over the Flames last night. We're going to do what we learns and ask us anything. No, it's Thursday. We're not doing ask us anything. Just what we learns. Oh, are we giving away tickets today, a dog? Or is that just tomorrow? That is tomorrow. Okay. So the giveaway is tomorrow, but still listen today. Get your What We Learns in. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.